Good evening. This is Attorney Vincent Davis, and I'm going to be joined this evening by, with Attorney Daniel Milton. We are here today to talk about uh, family law and divorce. The effects of divorce, especially when the divorce involves children, last far longer than the divorce process itself. The consequences of marital dissolution can affect all members of the family and can last a lifetime. You've got questions? Well, we've got answers. Family law legal experts answer your questions about divorce, kids, money, property, custody, and spousal support. It is Wednesday, October 5th, 2016, and we are broadcasting live from Arcadia, California. Dan, are you with me this evening? I am, Vince. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you as well. You know, with this, to start off today's show, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Angelina and Brad Pitt divorce. Have you been following that at all in the in the papers? Just a little bit. Uh, uh, I've heard a couple of comments about it. May I mention? Sure. I, I've heard that, uh, well, let's see, I think they have somewhere between six and eight kids. I think it was six kids. They've had a, a number adopted. And there's some talk that uh, um, treatment has been required for Brad Pitt of um, substance abuse nature as a condition of Department of Child and Family Services not intervening uh, with the children. And uh, that's that's basically all I've heard. And of course, that's a weighty matter, and uh, that would be um, very serious for, for them, you know, if DCFS stepped in and made conditions. But apparently, um, Brad Pitt has agreed to the various uh, treatments or uh, programs. And as a result of that, I, it sounds like DCFS is in abeyance at the moment, uh, seeing how that goes. Have you heard more than that? Well, you know, I'm looking at an article online from People Magazine, and part of the article states that, um, and this is just, you know, an article from People, states that on September 30th, Jolie and Pitt agreed to a temporary plan recommended by DCFS. And apparently until October 20th, the children will remain with Jolie while Pitt is getting visitation with a therapist present for the first meeting. Along with the family therapy, both Jolie and Pitt will undergo individual counseling and and Pitt will continue voluntary drug and alcohol testing. The article goes on to say that, quote, Brad loves his children more than anything in this world, and they matter more than anything else to him, says a pit source. Quote, he will do whatever it takes to be with them now and always, unquote. The article begins that by saying that two weeks after uh, Angelina filed for divorce from Brad Pitt, Angelina is, quote, staying strong for her kids, unquote, as the whole family struggles to cope with life after the split, a source close to the situation tells People magazine. The source also says that Jolie and all of the kids have started therapy. Quote, it's been a traumatic situation, unquote. Um, In People's new cover story, Sources detailed the intense behind-the-scenes divorce negotiations, the couple battle over the kids' upbringing, and the final fight abroad aboard their private plane that triggered an investigation by L.A.'s Department of Children and Family Services. Jolie, 41, and their six children spent the first weeks after after the split secluded in an L.A. area rental home with friends and her brother James Haven at her side. Quote, she did what she felt she had to do to protect the safety of the kids, unquote, says a source. Meanwhile, a pit source tells people the actor, quote, has been absolutely devastated and heartbroken by the events of the past several weeks, both in terms of how those events have 
been wrongfully portrayed in how they have threatened to jeopardize his family's ability to heal and move forward, unquote. As Jolie and Pitt tangle over the kids' future, Jolie wants sole physical custody, Pitt wants shared custody. Maddox, 15, Pax, 12, Zahara, 11, Silo, 10, and an an eight-year-old twins, Vivian and Knox, are adjusting to an upended life. At home with Jolie, they've been watching movies and playing in the pool. Quote, they didn't leave the rental house for days, says a source close to the family. It was hard for them. They are used to more activities and more entertainment, so it's difficult for them to just stay at the house. The younger kids don't understand what's going on, unquote. So this is uh, a highly publicized divorce situation with some DCFS uh, implications um, uh, when, you know, and it's always difficult in these types of cases when social workers get involved in the uh, family divorce. Have you been, uh, had cases like that, Dan? Oh, yes. Um, That's a daily occurrence with regard to uh, child custody and DCFS. Um, for us. Um, However, uh, uh, this is going to be a very sizable matter in the property uh, side of the the pit marriage, of course, you know, dividing their property. And I can understand um, um, Mr. Pitt's desire to want to split the child custody arrangement. Uh, You know, timeshare is obviously a big factor for the support amounts that he'll be paying and not to mention uh, his I'm sure heartfelt concern about the kids, about spending time with them too. Um, yes, we've had uh, cases that uh, are large property-wise and um, substantial in the way of support as well. And um, they can be very complicated and very fiercely fought. So in this particular case, we probably have there's going to be some negotiations or legal battles with respect to the division of the community property. Perhaps um, there was separate property. Perhaps there was a pre or post nuptial agreement. Perhaps not. And then we have the child support, the spousal support. We have the um, and the child custody and visitation. And um, you know, I can only imagine that people of of these means, you know, they've been very successful in their careers, have other probably other investments, may perhaps other businesses. It's going to be quite the time for lawyers and accountants to uh, settle this one, don't you think, Dan? Oh, absolutely, and and I would imagine it's uh, the odds are overwhelming that they had a, a prenuptial agreement. They both were extremely successful when they. Um, married, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that their attorneys and agents were pressing them both for that kind of an agreement. They can be very, yeah, and I, very I want. Yeah, I want to move on to um, our usual show, which covers questions that have been emailed to us from uh, different clients or potential clients. So let's just jump right into those questions this evening. Sure. Uh, the first the first question says, two children that are 15 and 17. They share the same father. I have another child that is four years old with a different father. I want to finally file for child support. What are my first steps? Well, um, it sounds like they're because the, there are two different fathers, she'd have to do two different proceedings, of course, for the children. <clears throat> um, that is, bring an action against each father. And uh, the type of proceeding that this mother would bring, and the first step she would take, would depend on whether this these uh, children were the product of a marriage, a dissolution of marriage, or whether it is simply a paternity action, um, a parentage action, is what they call it these days. And um, in either of those two cases, what she would need to do would be to file a petition and a summons 
and um, the other associated papers like a cover sheet and that kind of thing, depending on the county. Uh, she would need to file those with the local courthouse and in Superior Court and uh, the department that handles family law. <clears throat> and after that, she would take the uh, step of preparing a request for order in either a divorce or a uh, paternity case. She would file a request for order, and that would be it's just a fancy name for a motion in a uh, in a legal proceeding. And a request for order is a four-page document that is fairly easy to fill out. Um, and attached to that, she would also have to have an income and expense declaration, which is another four-page document, which is a little harder to fill out. And that income and expense declaration, which I'll call an I and E, uh, that form basically goes through the income of the, the person who's filling it out, uh, the debts of the person, a couple summary comments about the type of property that they have and the extent of it, and uh, their, um, the people who live in their home with them, who those people are and what their incomes are. And then it also on the last page uh, requires information about the timeshare, which we'll be speaking about. <clears throat> timeshare is just a, a term for how much time is spent with each parent. So a very typical timeshare might be a 20% arrangement, you know, with, uh, say, typically a dad, oftentimes a dad, um, uh, who's working. That dad might have 20% uh, because he's he's got the kids from 6 o'clock on Friday to 6 o'clock on Sunday with a, a Wednesday uh, pick-up after school until dinner time type of order, you know, and sharing holidays. So... Uh, the timeshare would need to be designated, and that can be a little difficult. Sometimes that requires some assistance from counsel. And oftentimes, filling out the income and expense declaration requires a skilled attorney as well to um, determine what your income is and how it should be represented properly and um, uh, determining um, how the questions are answered about property and uh, expenses. You know, a lot of people make big mistakes sometimes in in uh, wrong assumptions about how these questions and these forms should be filled out. Now, in addition to that, is filling out the petition of the um, under the divorce or the paternity case, and particularly in a divorce, the statements you make in the petition can be very consequential. You know, as far as designating what property is separate, what property is uh, is community property, and those can be uh, devastating to you if they're done improperly, because you might make mistaken um, claims about property, which will come back to haunt you later and may cost you property. Uh, those would be the first steps, and then um, one thing a person could do if they want to get an idea of, um, of how this is going to go as far as the support, child support, is they could go to the Internet and they could Google California child support guidelines. And that will bring up the, um, the official state um, guideline calculator that a person could use to plug in the figures and get an, a rough idea of what the support um, would be that they could expect. Now, again, that uh, requires that the person have some skill at knowing how to evaluate uh, the questions that are asked on the guideline and um, the uh, input of the figures uh, that will determine what the guideline support will be. And that oftentimes uh, takes a, an attorney who has been doing this kind of work. I'm sure you have comments about this, Vince. Well, you know, she's going to have to file two different cases because there's two different fathers. And, um, you know, it probably served her well uh, to call an attorney in her area that practices in family law to get a free consultation. Um, you know, I was just uh, this, this evening speaking with a client um, who wanted to do something in a case that was probably going to cost her a couple of hundred 
about $200,000. She didn't realize that until I explained it to her. And the same thing for this child support case. You know, we're talking probably a fair amount of money, uh, depending on what the relative incomes of the husband, excuse me, of the father and mother are. And, uh, you know, we could, but over a long period of time, you know, child support will be paid monthly until the children turn 18. Uh, You know, you're talking about a chunk of money. So I would say that the first thing that she should do is make sure that when she when she brings these child support cases, um, that she that she uh, gets some expert advice. And the, one of the other things that you know always crosses my mind uh, in these child support cases, if the attorney on excuse me, if the party on the other side sounds like the father in this case is a high income earner, um, the mother may be able to, or the mother and her attorney, may be able to get uh, attorney's fees awarded um, against the father. They can be paid by the um, by the uh, father to the attorney for the mother. We were involved in a case today when one of the issues was attorney's fees in a uh, child custody and visitation and support case. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners about that case a little bit? Uh, yes, um, this w- involved a uh, celebrity uh, case, and um, um, <clears throat> we had uh, a. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me shift gears here to remind myself of this one. Um, we had some argument um, about uh, the other side's um, bringing unnecessary, in our view, unnecessary um, motions and paperwork and uh, pleadings uh, with the uh, option of attempting to assess that against the uh, the, um, father in this particular case. And uh, we argued that with the court and obtained a favorable result, result on it. I'm very happy with that. Um, Vince, did you have comments? About the attorney's fees. Tell our listener, we we had a big argument about attorney's fees. Okay. Uh, Yes, we did. And uh, that's because um, the the mother was uh, pushing to have her attorney paid in full by the father. Now, in a a celebrity case in particular, the the income of the celebrity is oftentimes so much larger that it just makes the um, other parent's income pale into insignificance. No one, the court is not much concerned with the, the lower income, but the higher income makes it so that it's almost compelling for the court to order uh, whatever reasonable attorney's fees the the, uh, the court can see justifiable in the case. And as a result of that, oftentimes I, I get the feeling that the attorneys work the cases um, to a fault um, and sometimes overwork the cases. You know, I'm not making any accusations of that in this particular case, but uh, in, in a number of these cases you can see that kind of thing could be said. So um, it's it falls on the attorney for the celebrity to try to minimize the amount of work that the other side can do and minimize the opportunities for the other side to expand um, their role in litigation. That is, to try to keep it from being too litigious. So we want to make the claims simpler and more direct so we don't have a blossoming and ballooning of uh, costs going to attorney's fees. Yes, yes. And that's what was trying to be done to our client today. Luckily, we were able to cut that off. Let's move to the second question, Dan. It says, uh, my husband and I had four children together, and last year we adopted an infant baby. If we are discussing divorce, how would child support be with the baby we adopted? Well, uh, this is a pretty straightforward question. Uh, an adoption, a legal adoption, when it's completed, makes that a child of the family. And uh, it's unfortunate that after they've just adopted a baby infant, that they're now going to be splitting up. 
Um, the, uh, the, the infant is now going to be a subject to a custody concerns, just like the other four children are, and uh, the support is going to be the same as with the other children. Um, you know, a guideline would now be run not for four kids, but for five. So that's it's very straightforward in my view uh, on that. Um, did you have uh, thoughts on it, Vince? Well, I, I think that the key, the key, uh, I guess, idea is that for this particular listener, um, the fact that the child is adopted doesn't have any bearing on, you know, the child support or lack thereof. Once exactly. a child is adopted, you know, it's, it's legally the, a child of the child. Family. Correct. So. Um, I think that was what the uh, I think uh, this particular uh, listener was trying to get at or wanted to know about. Dan, what's the third question? I currently have a family law attorney, but he does not return any of my calls. How can I find out what has been filed in my case so far? <clears throat> Well, the first thing I'd want to say is um, it's unfortunate that you've gotten an attorney who won't return calls. Uh, it is a duty of an attorney to stay in contact with a client. Um, and returning calls is often a sign of not getting enough um, care to, to the client. Vince? You know, the, the way to find the, what's been filed in your case is by just to go online at the uh, Superior Court website for your particular county. Um, and you can look up your case by case name or case number. And uh, for example, if you were in Los Angeles Superior Court, you could just Google Los Angeles Superior Court um, case summaries, and then there'll be a case summary for each particular type of case. And you would want to, of course, in this instance, look up family law um, case summary, and then you would find, uh, you know, you would find the information that you needed. Now, I think that's Anything the same to add in, I think it's the same in uh, Orange County uh, that you can get case summaries there. Um, and I believe they also have it available that you can purchase online copies of uh, pleadings that have been filed in the, in the various cases. Now, I'm not sure that's been moved into the family law arena there. Uh, I know it has been in uh, civil, um, and I suspect it is in family law as well now. Um, <clears throat> there are counties where that is not available to you, where you can't get a, a case summary in a family law case. Of course, another thing you could do, this client could do, is they could just go down to the courthouse and look it up. Um, and uh, the courthouses usually have a computer that you can look up under your own name or under the name of someone else that you're searching. Uh, and uh, that brings up the various cases in various categories. And once you have the case number, you can go to the clerk and ask to see the file. It's good to remember that what what is filed in um, your family law case is public record. So you want to be careful about what uh, you put into your case because anybody can go down to the courthouse and look up a family law case uh, and actually read the pleadings and read the allegations that people are making against each other. So um, that's that's the old-fashioned way, but Vince is quite correct. Um, you can go into Los Angeles, you can just get a case summary uh, within minutes online. Dan, moving to the next question, it says, if my wife and I decide to do mediation, will my income be verified by the mediator? <laughs> uh, no. In short, um, it would be nice if if the world were uh, had had uh, that certainty, but uh, that's a real problem with mediation with all court proceedings. Is uh, people have a tendency to shade the facts sometimes, and it's um, 
it takes a lot of expertise to try to ferret that out or even to suspect it given certain signs. And uh, if if they go to if this, these parties go to mediation, um, mediation is not public. Mediation is private. And uh, assuming we're not talking about family court services mediation here for the moment, <clears throat> um, mediation should be very carefully um, and cautiously considered because there are privileges um, as to what happens in mediation. So things that happen in mediation the court requires uh, must stay in mediation. The facts have to stay in mediation and cannot later be brought out in court except insofar as mediation results in a uh, judgment or an agreement that is that is sought to be made a judgment, then it can be made public and uh, and um, brought into evidence, you know, in later proceedings. You know, Dan, I was were involved in a case where uh, there were two celebrities um, who were married with children, and they got divorced. And uh, instead of filing the case. Uh, the husband's attorney was insistent on mediating the case, uh, and uh, we did mediate the case, and we came to a settlement agreement and a judgment. But we agreed that uh, it wouldn't be filed, the, the specifics of the case wouldn't be filed, so that people could not go down to the uh, courthouse and find you know, all of the assets and debts that were being divided. Have you ever heard of that before? Uh, yes, I have heard of that before. Um, and I think there are a lot of people who seek mediation for that very reason, because of the privacy concerns. Um, and that, I think, is one of the most attractive features of mediation. Uh, if someone has substantial assets that they don't want to be made public, um, mediation is probably the way to go. And uh, I, I think that with a little art, you could state um, a judgment that would uh, be enforceable in court and yet not reveal the assets uh, so readily. Now, that's not to say that the parties don't have to reveal the assets to each other. Um, they would right. have to do that uh, with... Um, um, declarations of disclosure is what we call that. They would have to do that, but those documents can be kept private by the parties, um, and uh, only the judgment itself would have to be made public. Um, and I can easily imagine how that could be packaged so that uh, these the, the precise details don't have to be made public. Have you ever been involved in a case like that, Dan? Uh, I've been involved in uh, in uh, cases where the parties didn't use specificity in saying what the assets consisted of, but um, um, I think that's a fairly rare situation as far as uh, people who are that concerned about publicity. Um, there was, um, I can't remember the name of the individual who uh, owned, or perhaps still owns, Safeway and um, some other stores, um, uh, he had made an, a motion at one time for an order uh, sealing the, the court records of the divorce. And the I believe the trial court actually granted that uh, sealing motion, and the Court of Appeals later reversed it and basically set the rule uh, fairly clearly in California divorces that the courts are to be very reluctant to seal uh, court records in divorce. Um, and it's it's done very sparingly anymore. I, I rarely ever see it. In the old days, uh, I saw it quite a bit, you know, where people were asking to have various things sealed. Now you might see a sealing happen because of uh, some sensitivity about, oh, a trade secret or about um, a certain child situation or um, proclivity or that kind of thing but not about property. At least I haven't seen that much. 
and hence uh, the both parties agree not to file it in court. Right, right, intense uh, mediation sometimes. Ben, what's our next question? Um, I was looking at different sites online, and some reference DisoMaster. What is that exactly, and do I need to purchase the software? Shall I take That's a lead a very on good that? Question, actually. Yes, please. <laughs> That's a hugely complicated <laughs> question, really. Um, because of uh, federal law wanting to insist that states um, have to ha have some way of determining um, a formula for um, having people pay uniform amounts of, of child support so that the federal budget is uh, not drained badly, and the county budgets are not drained badly by welfare. Um, a, a requirement was put in place for this type of, of uh, thing we call DisoMaster now. Now, DisoMaster is one type of a guideline. It's one of the best-selling guidelines and very commonly used by divorce attorneys. <clears throat> and uh, it's not the only uh, guideline, however. There are oh, perhaps a dozen or more uh, guidelines that all have to be certified by a CPA that they re that they meet the uh, the exacting requirements um, to do proper calculations of of child support, and but once they are certified, then people use them widely. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier this evening, there is a guideline. There are several guidelines online that can be accessed, and one is the guideline that's used by. Uh, DCSS, the Department of Child Support Services, also known in uh, Los Angeles as uh, CSSD, uh, same thing. Um, but that guideline uh, is fairly straightforward. The only problem with all of these guidelines is California has one of the most complicated guidelines uh, requirements in the whole country, and that's because California prides itself on having one of the fairest guidelines for child support in the, in the nation. Uh, but uh, there are so many questions that have to be answered as you're going through and doing a DISOMaster or other type guideline um, analysis to, to arrive at what that amount would be. And um, it's not uncommon for me when I'm asked by a client, uh, you know, what can I expect to pay in the way of child support or spousal support? It's not uncommon at all that I might run a dozen or more guideline scenarios, you know, on various hypotheses or various options about how that client's case uh, could be considered or might be considered by the judge. So I have to be prepared for the various alternatives, and if the other side convinces the judge that um, the situation is a, a different timeshare or um, that this party or that party should have the child dependency exemptions, that kind of thing. All those have to be thought about in advance so that we can be prepared for it. The, the last place you want to be surprised is in an open court, you know, when you have seconds to decide what to do. <clears throat> oh, and uh, the question as to whether to you have to purchase the software, no, a person can go online uh, and uh, and check that. Uh, a lot of times, of course, you know, if people call me, uh, I will sometimes run uh, the support calculations if it can be done fairly quickly, just as, as a preliminary matter. Sometimes if it's a little more complicated, you know, I'll require that um, we'd have to be retained or um, to uh, to do that kind of thing. But sometimes you can get attorneys uh, to run the DISO master for you just to get you an idea of, of where you might be uh, on the on support. You know, Dan, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I have DisoMaster on my iPhone and iPad. They have a DisoMaster app. Oh, that's great. And it works great. And it works great because when you're in court, uh, you have it right there on your iPad. You don't have to keep running down to the attorney room, you know, to the court, uh, to the court's copy or the court's computer doing the DisoMaster. And there is a provision in there because, you know, you're usually on the court's Wi-Fi where you can email the DISO master report and output 
to the opposing attorney and to the judge so that you all will have a copy of it. That's nice and fast. <clears throat> nice Very and handy. fast. I, I I once did a case up in San, Santa Barbara, um, and uh, it's kind of on the – I was in the courthouse kind of on the outskirts of Santa Barbara, and uh, I was being teased by the local counsel there you know, oh, here's Mr. Davis from the big city. He's got Disomester on an iPad. You know, we don't even use iPads here. <laughs> well, but it was uh, very interesting, and it was very yes. convenient and very, you know, I use it all the time in court. And and the, and the interesting thing is is that the the iPad or iPhone version is significantly less than buying the version for your computer. I think I paid about $39 for the app. That was all. Wow. That's a great deal. And I don't know why the Yeah, I don't know why the big disparity, you know, and it and it updates itself automatically. So, you know, and I, I don't know if I'm I don't think I'm charged. Maybe I am charged and just didn't realize it for every time it's updated, but it updates itself once or twice a year just automatically and I, you know, I don't even have to worry about that. Yeah, that sounds great. Hmm. Um, so, I, I, you know, I would tell that listener don't um, don't buy the Disomaster because once you purchase the software, uh, you're going to be in worse trouble because you're you're probably not going to know how to use it. It's a little bit sophisticated, a little bit complicated, and there are even seminars, you know, that are given. On how to use Disomaster, and, and yes, you know, as a former accountant, yeah, seminar for lawyers, and and as former as a former accountant, if you don't know what you're doing on Disomaster, you can be easily pencil whipped by the other side to get uh, you know erroneous or less favorable outcomes on the Disomaster. There's many ways to massage and manipulate the Disomaster program because there's so many inputs and so many back screens and settings that you have to account for. And if you don't know what you're doing, it could be it could just make matters worse for you. That's certainly true. So it's a trap. Dan, the, going uh, on where? to our next yeah yeah. So let's go to our next question. What's our next question? Once the child support is calculated, is there any way to change that figure? Can my wife and I agree on a specific amount? Well, yes, of course, the uh, figure can be changed uh, once you've arrived at a Disomaster figure, for example, or some other program's figure. Uh, it can be changed and oftentimes will be changed depending on the facts changing in the case. Um, one of the biggest issues, I think, is the timeshare of the, the parties, how much time is being spent with each parent. And that is a, an input that you have to put into DisoMaster. And uh, if that changes, that's going to change dramatically how much support you have to pay. Um, for example, if, if a parent is exercising no visitation, whatever, uh, that parent will be paying the highest uh, dollar amount on the support for the child. And that is uh, logical, of course, because that means that that parent isn't having to keep an extra bedroom for the child or have to uh, keep food in the refrigerator for the child and have expenses for the child. Yet the other parent does have much more of those requirements because they're not having that, or because uh, rather the child is so much with that parent. So that changes it. And incomes change all the time, of course, so um, naturally, any time there's a change in income, it's going to change the support amounts. Um, I have mentioned earlier the child dependency exemption. Um, the um, parent who has the child more than 50% of the time is normally entitled under federal law to have the child dependency deduction exemption on their taxes, and this can be worth uh, thousands of dollars each year per child to have those uh, child dependency exemptions and child care credits on the federal taxes. Uh, and that can be um, 
designated by the court. It can be stipulated by the parties as to who gets those uh, dependency exemptions. And it can be ordered by the court. You know, if the parties don't agree on it, um, the court often will make an order about who gets them. Um, and that directly changes the amount of child support that the parent would be paying as to whether or not they have the child dependency exemptions. Other factors that go into changing uh, child uh, support would be who's paying health insurance. Uh, if dad, for example, is paying $800 a month for health insurance, his support is going to go down considerably uh, because he's credited with the amount of health insurance he's paying. And not just health insurance for the kids, health insurance for himself uh, would be included as well. So those are useful things that attorneys know in the divorce trade about how to accurately and adeptly use a DISO master or other programs. Now, another way it can be changed is that if the parties just simply stipulate to an amount that they want to pay for child support, that can be done as well. Now, it does take the approval of a judge to sign a, a judgment, and there are places on the applications for the defaults and uh, other forms uh, where you have to put down what the incomes of the parents are. But my experience is the judges rarely reject um, a stipulated child support, even if it's different from what the calculations on DisoMaster would show. And that's because, one, the courts are not in the business of running the DISO master calculations. They're just trying to make sure that things are done fairly. And if the parties swear that the needs of the children are being adequately met, the children, neither of the children are on aid, uh, then the court is not going to care so much about uh, what the amount of support will be so long as the parents are dealing with it appropriately. So I've, I've seen cases in, uh, a number of times where... Uh, the parties have agreed that they are doing a certain sharing arrangement for the custody and that one of the parents will be paying zero uh, for child care, child support rather, uh, even though the guideline would say that they, have to, they should pay more than that. And uh, if the parents are um, okay with that, normally that can be done so long as parents are not going to Department of Child Support Services or the child doesn't go on aid. Um, if the child uh, does, or if the parent goes on aid, or if the child support is considered by DCSS, then that's a different matter. Then we're going to be looking at uh, the fine details about um, the incomes and, the, and all the other factors that go into the DISO master. Well, that's Have a very thorough analysis. That? I got that. Uh, it's uh we're getting towards the end of the show. Let's go to the next question, Dan. Sure. I am currently paying child support for three different children. I am now getting ready to welcome my fourth child. <clears throat> if the mother of my last child filed for child support, how much would she get? How can I calculate, and is there a way to not pay for other children? Well, this brings up um, the question about hardship deductions. Um, the question is that he's got a fourth child now, and uh, he's uh, wondering how much the, the mother of the first three children would get, as I read it. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. As the mother of my last child filed, then how much would she get? So he's asking about... The, the youngest child, the mother of that child, asking for support, and uh, can he get credit for the other three children? So uh, what I would have the client do in that case would be to ask for three hardships. Now, a hardship is, a, is a, uh, an expression that basically embodies the purpose of the courts um, not having too large a disparity between the support of different children from different relationships, uh, for example. So uh, you don't want one child receiving 
2000 a month and another child getting only $300 a month. Um, so the, uh, the dad in this case would ask for three hardships, but the court has great liberality under our law in whether to grant any hardships at all. Now, first of all, if you don't have a documentation about your hardships, and if the court is scrutinizing them or the opposing counsel is scrutinizing them, I think that you have a, a much less chance of getting hardships. So if you're asking for hardships, you probably should have a copy of the uh, court order that requires you to pay this support for the other children that you're asking hardships for. So if this dad has three other kids, he should bring in a copy of his um, divorce decree showing the current amount that he's paying and that he's ordered to pay uh, for the support, or at least uh, you know, canceled checks showing the payment or receipts for how much he's paying to prove to the judge that he actually is paying those amounts and uh, therefore is entitled or, or could get a hardship. One interesting thing that uh, many attorneys are not aware of is that the court has the power to grant partial hardships. So in, in a case here, the judge, even though there are three kids, the judge could say, well, I'm not persuaded because your income is such and such. I'm not persuaded you need three hardships. Let's just give you two. Or let's give you one and a half hardships. Or if the judge doesn't think you need much hardships uh, at all because you have a high income, for example, he could say, well, or she could say, let's give you a 0.5 hardship. And Dissomaster will calculate those hardships. Um, and courts are rarely uh, reversed for making those types of decisions. Did you have thoughts on that, Vince? I do, Dan. I was just thinking about this. You know, on the partial hardships, is that statutory or by case law? Um, my understanding is it's statutory. I can't cite you the code at this this point, but I believe it is statutory. Uh, the, the court does have the power to go have fractional hardships or uh, and has the discretion to um, grant no hardships at all if they want. I've seen cases where judges have felt that uh, because uh, children were born after um, the children of the divorce, that hardship should be denied because the parent couldn't afford to have the later born children. Now, I, I think that's kind of a, a form of primogeniture, which I don't care for. Um, but I have seen that happen with some judges. You know, different judges have attitudes of, of, about um, family planning and uh, how children should be provided for before other children are born. Interesting, very interesting. I, I was involved a few months ago with a case, a uh, higher income earner had uh, children by another relationship. And the uh, one of the, the attorney for the mother was arguing that the father shouldn't be given credit for any hardships. He had two other children. And uh, when we went to mediation, you know, the court sent us to mediation that morning, the uh, mediator, a very experienced family law attorney, basically said to him, hey, are you crazy? You know, the statute says he gets the hardship. And then I, you know, I, I just assumed that that's what the statute has said, but when I read the statute, it, it did appear that the judge was given some type of, uh, you know, leeway. And when we went to, we didn't settle the case, and we went to argue the case in front of the judge, um, opposing counsel was making that argument about no hardships for the other children, and the judge basically said, well, you know, I think that would be too harsh. But what I didn't know and what I now know because of you, Dan, is that he could have and probably should have argued for partial hardships instead of the full right. hardship. Right. You want to give it the judge as many a, options as lot... you can. Right. It would have been a lot easier to swallow. Oh, instead of giving him hardships for two two children, you know, 100%, we'll give him, you know, a 50% hardship. 
Exactly. And because of the numbers that we we were dealing with, that would have made a significant, uh, you know, impact on the bottom line of child support uh, the mother would have received. Yes. Dan, every show with you, I learn something different. I learn something new. Well, this is a very specific area of law, and there's a lot that changes. Yeah, and what's our? Yeah, it changes all the time. Yeah, and what's our next uh, question? If I receive government funding um, slash food stamps, will I still receive my child support? Um, Shall I start on this one? Certainly. uh, Okay. I don't believe that food stamps, receipt of food stamps, affects child support at all. I don't uh, don't think it is included. And I can't remember a case where I've seen a judge apply it or um, actually treat it as a form of income. I do see it from time to time listed on INEs, income and expense declarations. But I don't think the court considers it uh, or uh, is is um, required by law to consider food stamp receipt. Uh, on other government funding, of course, there's many, there's myriad forms of government funding, but we can discuss a few. Say that you're getting a uh, military pension or um, a civil service pension. Um, if you get, if the questioner is getting that kind of government funding, um, they that will be considered in calculating the child support naturally. You know that will go into this formula on the disomaster um, as uh, as normal income. Uh, certain types of uh, military pay uh, would go in uh, as well as of, uh, as a type of income, and some of them go in as non-taxable, and that uh, that has. Uh, certain implications, you know, it does increase the support sometimes. Um, If a a person is receiving aid, I believe that uh, aid, or they call it um, TANF, if you're getting aid from the government, from the county, I don't think that is included or um, included against you for child support. However, um, if you are receiving aid, then by law, the uh, child support you're receiving for the period during which you're getting aid is assigned to the county who is providing the aid. So when it comes to receiving um, temporary assistance for needy children, that kind of thing, uh, that is going to be, that will affect your child support because uh, you will find yourself having to pay the county back. That is, the county will take the the funding directly from the supporting parent and uh, keep its share of it and then give you the difference um, that might be over and above the aid that the county's providing you. I think that's the more direct answer to this question. There are other forms as well, unemployment, um, workers' compensation. Those kinds of things are going to be put into the DISO master uh, and uh, will affect the child support. Um, Vince, do you have thoughts here? No, I agree with your analysis. Um, I do. I do remember um, someone arguing in a child support case where I was just sitting in the audience that um, food stamps be included in the income of the custodian and. Uh, the judge in that case refused to do it. But the argument was is that income is income from any source derived, a la the Internal Revenue Code. And uh, I think the judge, the judge's rationale was is that uh, food stamps would not even be considered income on the, uh, you know, on your 1040. And, you know, I'm not a no tax expert, but... Yeah. Right. So therefore, it would not yeah. be considered income. There is one. But you know uh, how? I, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say there. You know how creative lawyers can be. But were we going to say <laughs> there is one what? There is one uh, 
peculiar little situation that happens under this question, and that is, I think it's Social Security Disability, derivative payments on Social Security Disability. In in that case, um, the parent who is, who is um, um, let's see how that goes, is receiving the Social Security Disability benefits for the child. That parent, oh, that uh, the parent who um, who is getting who is no the child who is getting social security disability uh, the the other parent can deduct dollar for dollar that social security disability that the child is receiving. I think that's how it goes. It's an unusual wrinkle, but you see every once every five years or so. But um, they. That's calculated dollar for dollar credit to the parent who was qualified um, to get that benefit that now the child receives. So uh, that's one unusual twist on this that we have to look out for. Oh, yes. I didn't know that either, Dan. Is that uh, in the family code or is it considered? Um, I think, how does I think, that come up? Yeah, I'm not sure it's in the family code. Um, but it has been recognized in, recognized in a couple cases. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's um, legislature created or court created, but that that is a, a factor, and and it is, seems fairly uh, unique and fair, also. Um, you know, because um, the parent has qualified to get that type of benefit for the child, and so they should have that as a reduction of their support. Do we have time for our last? Yes, let's do one more. If a social worker removed my children from my care, do I still have to pay child support while going through these juvenile court proceedings? Now, Vince, I'm going to ask you to, uh, because you're so good at uh, this particular area and many others, if you can take the lead on this question. Sure. The answer is yes, you still have to pay child support. And the answer also is if you want to modify child support, uh, you can go back to family law to modify uh, child support, even though a juvenile dependency case is still open. Oh. Um, there are a lot of folks that believe that once a juvenile dependency case is open, that the family law is stripped of all jurisdiction, and it's not. It's only stripped of jurisdiction regarding custody and visitation of the child. But all other issues regarding support and property can still move forward in the family law case. And, and I think, you know, I've heard of a case recently where the judge even told the parties, you can't come to family law court to talk about support while the juvenile case is pending. And that, uh, I believe, in my opinion, it was, is not correct. And uh, is the uh, support uh, designated off to the, the person who has the daily care of the children, typically, in those situations? Yes. Yes. Typically, you have a situation where it's 50-50. The child is detained away from one of the parents. The other parent basically has 99%, and that parent can go back to court and uh, get more child support from the non-custodial parent. We're running out of time this evening. Uh, next week, we're going to let's do some property stuff. Hopefully, uh, oh, our listeners fine. will email us and try to get some property questions because you are the property guru. And we'll talk a little bit more about Brad and Angelina Jolie and see what's going on in their case. <laughs> I, I probably would bet a dollar that they are not going to uh, file uh, paperwork with the Superior Court and make everything, make their lives an open book, I think they're going to try to negotiate and try to uh, do this kind of out of the public eye. But you we'll know, talk uh, more Vince, of that next. Yes. Okay. Vince, I have a 10-second question I could ask our listeners that might be amusing to them. Um, what celebrity used the doctrine of forum nonconvenience? Uh, to transfer his case from Los Angeles to London. 
That's Mick Jagger did that, the, the ancient doctrine of forum non-convenience. Um, wow. I thought it was an interesting point. Interesting Apparently point. He was, and then we've, yeah. run out of, we've run out of time. I'll talk to you next week on the radio. Sounds good. I'll look forward to it. Good night.